Did I tell you that I went to my nana's place and she had two spaces after her email address this time? <laughs> you did. <laughs> That's so good. Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Hello. We're back. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a couple weeks. Uh, we don't have a good excuse. No, I think we were both We've just, just been, very busy. Been a little busy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we have come back in fine form with a movie that we assure you is the worst movie we've seen in ages that came out about 18 months ago. So yeah, it's not, I think not, it might not exactly be. A, a grand return to form for us. It's not like a big blockbuster hit. It's a it's a shit. Well, movie. there aren't uh, any fucking big blockbuster hits at no. the moment, which is another reason why I feel slightly <laughs> more justified being delayed by our <laughs> film podcast. Uh, this pod, uh, this this episode uh, is dedicated to my my mate Dave, who recommended that we oh, watch yes. this movie. <laughs> uh, like, wait, who died? <laughs> this is in loving in memory, memory of Dave. In loving memory of Dave from the office. Gone but not forgotten. Oh, uh, no, D- Dave, uh, we, we were talking about movies at work that we'd watched recently, and I was like, oh, you got to watch uh, The Prestige, you got to watch Inception, and he was like, you got to watch Serenity, mate. Mm. Worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and what, way- what, did it, what did he say about why? <laughs> well, the way he pitched it, um, well, I, I think it was just like, you got to get a load of this movie, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, i got to yeah. talk about it with someone. It's... It's it's ridiculous, yep. um, but the way he pitched it initially, without trying to give away the twist, was so it sounded so boring. And he was like, "All right, this is the twist," and then I was immediately sold. I was like, "Well, fuck!" Yeah, and I was like, gotta- "Don't read anything about yeah. this movie, Andrew. We're doing this one. The ending's fucked. So I'm that's- not going to tell you anything about it." Yeah, yeah. So that's what we- that's what we're going to cover later on in the episode. That's Serenity. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out in 2019. It's on Stan, Starring I Matthew think. Matthew McConaughey and Hathaway and Jason Clark. Yeah, but first. Gonna do it a little bit of news. Beef bulletin. Yep. I got a whole bunch of headlines saved. Oh Christ! Okay. All right. All right. Let's race through this because I've also watched a shitload of movies. Shia LaBeouf gets real tattoos for David Ayers, the tax collector. This was in. Now you say real tattoos. People are people think bigger. He got a. Full torso tattoo for this <laughs> shit. Yeah. It is insane, the it's tattoo that he got. It's fucking enormous. It's like a giant... It's not this, but it's like... In my head, it's like a giant angel fucking thing all over the cross. Yeah, it's like a big fucking bald eagle or something. It's not that, but yeah. It's a huge <laughs> design on his front. Oh, yeah. Um, and, I, and then I saw a review that just got posted recently where someone was like... Not worth it, bro. <laughs> Those tattoos weren't <laughs> worth it. Yeah. <laughs> I suspect that that... It- be the case. Uh, the headline for the review for this movie. So the movie's called The Tax Collector. Um, the, the, the headline is The Tax Collector Review. Shia LaBeouf's racist caricature isn't the only problem here. Fuck yeah. Uh oh. This review basically just <laughs> says that the movie's kind of boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> makes me feel like maybe it wasn't worth it for Shia to get these giant ass tattoos for this racist character that he's playing. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, brutal. Funny. I, I fucking love Shia there. Uh, he's what's in- what's his character's background? Like, how is it a racist portrayal? Uh, no, nah, I've closed. Yeah, we'll get more news about it later. <laughs> um, Mickey Rourke threatens quote punk ass Robert De Niro over the Irishman comments. Um, quote from Mickey Rourke uh, here: I swear to God on my grandmother, on my brother, and all my dogs, I'm going to embarrass you severely. 
Yeah. <laughs> he was like, that was, oh God, it was a weird, weird exchange. He posted on Instagram and he was like, I swear you're going to fucking regret this. It sounded like he was going to kill him. <laughs> well, so, and um, then he was like, I will embarrass you. It's like, what, are you going to fucking <laughs> dack him in public? That's the most old man threat. Yeah, like, I'm not yeah. going to kill you. I'm going to embarrass you. Just a 50-year-old well, yelling at a 70-year-old about how he's going to regret what he did. Like, a- appara- Shut up, dude. Apparently, they have a 33-year-old feud. Yeah. So, these dudes don't like each other at all. Apparently, uh, Mickey Rourke had said that he was being he, he had been at some point considered for a role in the Irishman yeah. and oh. <laughs> Robert De Niro is like that's not true that's not true right <laughs> we weren't considering him for shit and Mickey Rock is like don't yeah. fucking call me a liar bro so the that's fl- right he was yeah it was this pride <laughs> thing he's like yeah. are, you, are you implying I'm lying are you implying that I'm being untruthful <laughs> so I, I think that the post has been taken down but I screenshotted yeah. it so let's see if we can get this Very screenshot nice. I, uh, I, I got my uh, ear on the ground for, for you the, listeners uh, Oscar's best Mickey Rock impression <laughs> Now, I will say ahead of time, I don't know what Mickey Rourke sounds like. Neither do I, so we're in safe hands. All good, but I will tell you this, I think he's Irish. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure he's Chinese, isn't he? Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're about to get Bruce Lee in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hey, Robert De Niro, that's right, I'm talking to you, you big fucking crybaby. <laughs> A friend of mine just recently told me that a few months back, you're quoted as saying to newspapers, Mickey Rourke's a liar and he talks all kinds of shit. Listen, Mr. Tough Guy in the Movies. <laughs> Mr. Tough Guy in the Movies. That might be how I have to refer to, to Bobby D forever now. You're the first person that ever called me a liar and it was in a newspaper. The first person. <laughs> let, me t- let me tell you something, you punk ass. When I see you, I swear to God on my grandmother, on my brother and all my dogs, I'm going to embarrass you severely. 100%. Mickey Rourke, God is my witness. It's impossible to know the size of the threat until I'm aware of how many dogs he's got, <laughs> and preferably like body weight and breed. <laughs> if he's yeah, like, I, I swear on my 500 dogs. But then the post, that's pretty different. He posted on Instagram, so the photo he's posted along with this is Robert De Niro looking really cool. Yeah, smoking <laughs> photo of Robert De Niro from a while back too. I think. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, from like a while back. And Mickey Rock's this like old saggy man now, so it's oh, like they both are, but old yeah. saggy man attacks badass. Well, old yeah, old saggy you know man I mean? attacks like, why, older saggy. Why pick why a really it? flattering? Fo- <laughs> Good shit. Yeah, I don't know. Um, here's another one. So, uh, your boy. Uh, yes. Who's your boy? Rod- Roger Deakins. Oh yeah. Uh, Roger Deakins, cinematographer uh, on nineteen <laughs> yes, seventeen, yeah. <laughs> Blade Runner twenty forty nine, heaps of Coen Brothers movies. Uh, has started up a podcast that's been going for the last few months during all this ISO shit. He's interviewing, like, he, he just dropped an episode today as we recorded this with Joel Cohen, mm. and he's interviewed a whole bunch of people that I've never really heard of, but they're big names in their own industries. He'll be like, he'll interview a big script supervisor, explain mm. what that job is and what they do and how they got into the industry, and interviews other cinematographers. The first question they usually ask is like, what do you think you, someone in your role does? Yeah. yeah. Um, so he interviewed uh, Bill Pope, on a episode of the podcast recently, who isn't someone I'd heard of, but he is most widely known for being the cinematographer that worked with the Wachowskis on the Matrix films. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, headline here is, Matrix cinematographer explains how Stanley Kubrick made the sequels miserable to shoot. Um, oh. 
on this podcast, uh, he was talking about how he was the cinematographer for Matrix 1, 2, and 3. Mm. The quote here says, Everything that was good about the first experience was not good about the last two. We weren't free anymore. People were looking at you. There was a lot of pressure. In my heart, I didn't like them. I felt we should be should be going in another direction. There was a lot of friction and a lot of personal problems, and it showed up on screen, to be honest with you. Um, the Wachowskis had read this damn book by Stanley Kubrick <laughs> that said that actors don't do natural performances until you wear them out. So let's oh, go to take no. 90. <laughs> so he oh, said they were man. doing like 90 takes of everything and he said he now wants to dig up Stanley Kubrick and kill him again. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, it sounds like I'm going to listen to this. What's well, really interesting because I just listened to the app that he did with uh, Joel Cohen today and... That, that he was, was talking about. Well, like, he was um, talking about how like they did like one or two takes, and uh, the Cohen brothers kind of looked at each other, and they were like, "Okay, cool. Uh, what's next?" And <laughs> Roger Deakins was like, "Um, sorry, can we do another take?" <laughs> it's yeah. just unheard of to go with like. I mean, going I, with the first one or two takes is very rare. So the idea that he's gone from like that experience where they're yeah. so confident in their early takes to like these guys. <laughs> Oh, it's cool Christ. getting little because there's lots of shit that I don't think it doesn't sound funny, but it's so insane to them that like they're like, oh, we only used you know a hundred thousand kilometers of film. And yeah. they're like, oh, ho, ho, imagine. Yeah, like a hundred and fifty thousand feet of whatever film or it was. Yeah. They said that there was some editing suite that was designed to be editing film, mm. and they had only used up like a quarter of the shelf space. And that was like and that the was whole like their movie. whole feature. Yeah. That was all of Fargo. Yeah. It was like th- four rolls of film or something stupid. Yeah, it was interesting to hear about. Yeah, it That's was a good. great. I'd highly recommend that podcast. Um, if the, basically when, uh, so Deakins is a cinematographer, so he's like usually operating the camera or like making the key choices about the way that the film looks. Uh, and the lighting. So if he's talking to someone that's involved with basically that process or later, um, like anyone to do with uh, lighting, key grip, uh, cinematographer, it's, it sounds colorist like they get, or anything, they, they get, get really, really in, the in, in the weeds about yeah. it because they all know. Like they, I've heard them talking about like pixel size and debayering patterns <laughs> oh, and that type of shit on cameras because Deacons knows about all that stuff and they they get like they, you know they get like close friends talking about it. Yeah. But then when he's talking to someone who's involved much earlier in the process or someone that's much less kind of directly related to what they do on set. Well, he had a chat with the main character from 1917. Yeah, that, George Mackay. George yeah. Mackay, the actor, and that was really interesting. It, yeah, that was really great. He said it like he was an actor that had a he had a he was really interested in the cinematography and he was really interested mm. in how it affected his process. That was one of the best discussions of acting that I've ever heard in yeah, an interview. Exactly. Where like he, oh, a- another man. example that I had is that uh, there's one that he does with the casting director that uh, most famously worked on the Fantastic Beasts and uh, where to find them? Whatever the Fantastic <laughs> Beasts films. Um, Fantastic Beasts and who to find them? Yeah, and who to find <laughs> what? Uh, Fiona Weir is the casting director that he talks to, and that's like a really, uh, a really great app for like where they're kind of asking a lot of questions because they don't know about what she yeah. does. So that those yeah. ones are those ones are interesting. Justify like, your what position. The, what the fuck do you do? What do you do? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it basically it you're just slowly getting um, quite narrow slices of how a film gets made, discussed by people who are at the peak of the industry, which is yeah. really really rare and really interesting because this is one of the only times in history where people in those positions have been uh, not busy enough to be able to do a podcast well, and talk about. Yeah, it. Yeah, and he's so, got some huge yeah. names. He's got he's got interviews Sam with Sam Mendes. Uh, yeah, the, the Sam Mendes is the director of 1917 and Skyfall. He's got an interview with uh, the that was a really director of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yep. 
He's got one that with was also great. Denis Villeneuve. Because people don't know this, but he's also done a lot of like basically consultancy cinematography for animated films. So yeah. he started doing the cinematography for Wall-E. Like advising how they should be animating it. Yeah, to look how like, they yeah. should use light. He also did the uh, How to Train Your Dragon series, a lot of the consultation <laughs> on that. So they've got a fair bit of experience with the animation process. Which how is to quite... Train Your Dragon with cinematography. Well, yeah, and, but, and you think like, oh, that's fucking weird. Like, what's he doing? But he, like, there are scenes in that that are... Uh, shot like no other animated movie where um, you basically like characters are like shrouded in darkness or like you're losing half the set because the the light rolls off into the black background and he's the one who's responsible for that because he was saying animators on how to animate it to look more real yeah or even just to have a strong artistic style because an animator puts so much effort into creating the room that they want to show it yeah. And so they never don't they never light like you would light in a real film. They light to show like what, the like environment. Like why would I light something right? poorly? Right, because yeah. I've spent so much time creating it. That's interesting. Um, and so yeah, the, he he was kind of that was a really interesting like point of difference when they came into the animation world, and that's one of the reasons why Disney brought him on. Yeah, it's, it, th- those are all really interesting too. Yeah. Um, well, those are worth. So that podcast is called Team Deacons. Yeah. Uh, it's him and his partner. I yeah, think yeah, who both yeah, work yeah. professionally together. Or maybe just his partner, but yeah, James. She's a script supervisor and. They've sort of they sort of come as a package deal. I think only since they've started working together, they've yeah. never done anything separately. Which is cool. Um, yeah, which is really interesting um, and really reinforces that idea of like in the film world, once you find someone that you work well with, like you just don't ever want to not work with them if you can avoid it. Speaking of mm. brilliant creative pairings, Dave Franco. Me and you, bo- oh. <laughs> Dave Franco talks portraying Vanilla Ice in upcoming biopic. <laughs> Dave Franco has confirmed that he'll be portraying Vanilla Ice in an upcoming biopic that puts a disaster artist-style spin on the story of the Ice Ice Baby rapper. The film... Who is Dave Franco? Uh, he James is... Franco's dad. That guy. I'm showing you a photo of him now. I don't think I recognize this man. He's James Franco's little brother, I think. Oh, okay. He's right. been in a whole bunch of stuff, but I'm not going to be able to name any of that right now. Okay. Well... <laughs> There you go. That's it. Cool. We're, we're getting we're getting a uh, <laughs> a biopic about Vanilla Ice. Have you seen yeah. that video where he explains why his baseline is different to Under Pressure? No. It's something along the lines but, of him. But, but, well, let's just put the audio in. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be better if I describe. Yeah, it. it'll be better if you explain a viral video. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally different. It's a rap song. It doesn't sound anything like theirs. And just to prove his point, Vanilla breaks it down and sings the dings. Ding 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 ding. Ding 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 ding. Ding ding ding. That's the way theirs goes. Ours goes ding 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 ding. Ding 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 ding. That little bitty change. It's not the same. Ours goes ding 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 ding. Theirs goes. Ours goes. Little bitty change. It's not the same. Big headline here. This probably might be our last one. Okay. Tenet. Mm. has had its new release date confirmed. This is about the third, oh, okay. the third release date now, confirmed there was an, for Tenet. I'm not sure if this is the same news story or not, but there was an intermediary... In, no, an intermediate news story where they decided not to release it in the States, but it would get a worldwide release and then later be released in the States. So is this the confirmed global release date, a confirmed global minus the States release date, or a States confirmed release date? Ooh. Oscar. 
Oh god! I just, I just Google it <laughs> to make frantically sure stabbing at his sh- phone. Like, shit hasn't changed. The sweat rolling off him. He's Ooh. like, <laughs> looks like someone in a David Lynch movie. <laughs> no, no, I'm enjoying good. looking look at the article. Yeah. <laughs> Tenet will release internationally in August ahead of US debut. Okay, great. Uh, so Warner Brothers has confirmed that they are going to be debuting the film internationally starting on August the 26th before opening in select US cities over the Labor Day weekend of September the 3rd. Right. Which is still very soon. Oh, yeah. People are going to die for this movie. Imagine dying for a Christopher fucking Nolan movie. Fuck yeah, dog. No, I would. Yep. Uh, It's going to be... They've announced a whole bunch of different territories that they're going to play in, in you know, Japan, Korea, Russia, Australia, all Uh sorts of places. They haven't actually confirmed where in the US it's going to be playing yet. Okay. Only in states with palindromic names. (laughs) And they don't have plans to release in China. Because, of course, China backwards is... Anik. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Um, Uh, I'm excited to see this movie. Why not China? China's not happy with it, or is it like licensing deals or whatever? Maybe maybe, maybe because that's where Corona's from. I don't know. Yeah, but I thought they're kind of like... Oh, no, I thought they were sort of on top of that shit. <laughs> no, no idea. Oh, no okay. idea. Um, Curious. It's probably got a black person in uh, it, and so they were just like... Nah. <laughs> uh, traditionally, a staggered rollout would be a risky proposition for a movie like Tenet, which cost around 100 to $200 million to produce. Yeah. Beyond piracy concerns, Tenet could face other hindrances from its modernized release plan. Spoiler headlines. Yeah, all that sort of shit. Well, I was thinking, like, surely the longer they sit on it, the more money they're spending on marketing to keep people... Buzzed about it, it and yeah. engaged in it, like or like if they just. I wonder, did they ever think like, why don't we just sit on this for a year? The studio's probably got five hundred actuaries and accountants yeah. doing predictive be algorithmic right? like, stuff. Because like, surely once the movie's made and finished and sitting on a shelf, it, it, I would love to know how much money it costs them to not release. Is it, it. a depreciating asset? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or whether they could just sit on it for. All, a whole year. I mean, like, it's a Christopher Nolan movie. Anyone maybe, else? You know what I, mean? I would. I would assume, like, yeah, let's get this fucker out the door as soon as we can. But it's a Christopher Nolan movie. Like, surely, like, at some point, you got a cash cow. Like, all right, we're, we're guaranteed to make uh, three hundred million dollars as yeah. soon as we release this. Yeah. At, like, at what point is it? Like, I don't think it, people are ever gonna ever gonna reach a point where they're just like, oh, I'm not interested in it because too much. T- like, the moments pass. Or is yeah, or is there a point where it's too hyped and oh, that that is a risk. Maybe yeah, maybe like the movies, they're like, oh, it's not that good. <laughs> yeah, but if I were them, I'd probably just have been like, nah, we'll we'll tell you when we're ready to release it, but then be like a hundred percent certain about that release. This day. sounds very you know, soon. like Last of Us Two. Yeah, uh, they were like, we're, it's delayed indefinitely. There was this very famous video game where they were like, it's delayed indefinitely, and then they announced a release date months later that was two weeks later than the first release date that yeah. they'd announced. And so, like, how much money did they lose from people canceling canceling pre-orders and that type of shit? Um, yeah, but I'm sure that they just had to sort of pick, you know. Well. At the time of recording, this that means that this movie's coming out in like three and a half weeks or something. That's yeah, very crazy. soon. Yeah, that's ridiculously soon. Yeah, like I, if we hadn't had the outbreaks in Melbourne, I would have said like, oh, we're fine. Yeah. It would have been fine here, but you know, yeah, not fine in England because England's <laughs> fucked up, and it's definitely not fine in the states. So no, I, I just yeah, I got no idea like other than like New Zealand where it would be. Maybe there are places in Europe where it's. I think fine. there's I a fair know. few places where it's okay, but not like the big movie making countries. You know, China is. Yeah, China and the it. States, I think, are the two big ones. So, <laughs> man, 
There's a bunch of Studio XX really shitting their pants about this. Yeah. Uh, one final bit of news. Mm. Uh, more details emerge about the Tom Cruise and Elon Musk space movie. Yep. Which, of course, where Tom Cruise is going to go and film in space. Is this a NASA- documentary where we launch both of those people <laughs> at the fucking sun? Because... That's about where I'm interested. <laughs> oh, Tom Cruise, it's going to be good. It'll I know. Be good. Yeah. NASA is excited to work. Well, not if Elon Musk has anything to do with it. But. <laughs> NASA is excited to work with Tom Cruise on a film aboard the space station. We need to blah, 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 blah. Um, they have confirmed that it is going to have a budget of around $200 million, which really doesn't seem like that much considering they, they have, have to, to go, go into space. To space. Yeah. <laughs> God, they the mean, maybe they mean like a filming budget and the marketing budget is different. I don't, oh, know. I don't know. The film it says here the film was pitched with no script, which well, is that's just concerning. like concerning. Well, I, I don't know how many times this is a story a that we really care about telling. <laughs> well, you could pitch a story without the script. I don't know how normal that is, but I like the idea of it being like I don't think that's. I got two hundred million dollars and Tom Cruise and the space station. That's my pitch. Yeah, we'll figure it out from there. Like that doesn't sound <laughs> like it's going to have a lot of uh, narrative integrity. Should we say? <laughs> Um, it says to, uh, the NME uh, have speculated here that $200 million doesn't seem like very much considering the project is still being scripted and there's surely some unprecedented logistics that it's going to take to make a movie that ah, she'll be right. has to fucking <laughs> break through the atmosphere. Yeah, she'll be right. <laughs> I look forward to this movie. I'm definitely going to watch it. Mm. It's, it, it well, may it's not well coming be out for like fire. five years, so oh, probably hold not. your fucking horses. No, I mean, we're not even, yeah, yeah. That would fucking rock if they announced this space movie. Like, some NASA projects take, like, f- five to ten years. If they announce it and then it comes out all within the space of a year. <laughs> Imagine if there was, like... If they had the the only, like, failed launch in a, in decades. <laughs> and it was Tom Cruise. <laughs> Our challenger is Tom yeah. Cruise. That would be There's fucking insane. There's a fucking insane. headline, yeah. Watching... Watching Tom Cruise's tiny body just get disintegrated. It's also got to be weird. Uh, it's going to be weird watching the... Because f- I'm assuming that'll make news when they when do they it. When they launch Tom Cruise into watching space. Watching it and knowing that like that's for a movie. <laughs> yeah. Not for the real <laughs> furtherment the of the scientific mind or anything. It's yeah. just that's like... It's just like, there are GoPros everywhere. Well, I don't... You know I, I, mean? I suppose at some point there's like the spectacle because Nas- the, re- the 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 bit of NASA's Twitter post that I yada 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 over yep. there was the bit where they were like, oh, inspiring future engineers and scientists to d- dream of working on what space projects. But no, that's like it's half of what the whole point of it is. Like that's I what guess. like heaps you hear, you hear people that like talk about how they wanted to study science because they watched the moon landing when they were kids. Yeah. So like, tell me, tell me about point, a like, federal if budget like, first. It's, at some point, if you're like, ah, oh, like, like oh, we go to the space to be on the moon. Or, like, we're going to space to show a movie, like, on the surface level to a kid, both of those are just as dumb. Like, <laughs> like we're yeah, going I mean, to the moon. Why? Yeah. Because we can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I'm excited for it. That's all the news I got for the week. All right. Well, I guess it's beefness or pleasure, then. I guess it is. Business. Pleasure. Business. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Pleasure. Business. 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 Pleasure. Business.
journalistic in- integral m- m- minds, the journalistic integrity that we have locked away in our, our minds, minds. full of we, journalistic integrity. We, yep. we dedicate that to watching and studying and getting down into the weeds with our chosen movie, which this week uh, we're probably a little bit overqualified to be doing. Uh, and then mm. on our off time, when we kick back and relax, we, uh, we, 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 we like to watch movies that we want to watch. When just, Oscar just turns off the beef in his brain. When we turn off the beef, turn on the pleasure, kick back and relax for some movies that we watch with no ulterior motive. Yeah. That's it. That's the yep. segment. Which totally changes, as we've discussed, the way that you watch the yeah, films. Yeah, because you've got to be in the zone or out of the zone, as the case may be. Right. Boy, what movies were you out of the zone when you were watching this week? Uh, okay. Uh, well, I, I know I, you're going to so have I've to cast one your mind back. <laughs> I've got one Because you're really not back. sure. Do you remember how I spent an entire episode being like, I don't think I watched anything last week. And then right <laughs> oh, yeah. at the end of the episode, I was like, oh yeah, I watched The Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you watched The Irishman. I did, I watched The Irishman. That's why we haven't recorded an episode in three weeks, because Andrew yeah, only just was busy finished watching yeah. The Irishman. Yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> it took me... 50 days and 50 nights mm-hmm. separately to watch The Irishman. They weren't <laughs> the same. The nights weren't the days nights. Right. They were... I spent only 50 days. 50 days and 50 and nights. And as soon as the sun went down, I would stop watching it and then I would only watch it at night time. <laughs> so I've lost my job. 50 days and 50 nights is longer than the Bible's go-to very long <laughs> yeah. time time period. Yep. There like, you go. 40 days? Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, 40. Fuck. I, I don't even... I've never thought about 50 before. <laughs> you were watching The Irishman for so long that Jesus went into the desert, came yeah. back, yeah. and you were still fucking watching The Irishman. Some guy's like, I've been in a whale. How long do you reckon <laughs> it would take you to be in a whale? <laughs> this uh, cunt's turned all this piss into wine, yeah. and you're. St- <laughs> yep. That was that was me referring to the Messiah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's good. All right, uh, go on. Tell us about the Irish. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, I'll I'll try to keep my thoughts, <laughs> unlike the film, <laughs> uh, concise. Just wanted to get in ahead of you on that. Yeah. Um. So this is a film that really is like I think Scorsese's retrospective on his own career and work in real um, time right yep <laughs> yep i'm putting a fucking embargo on him from here on out okay <laughs> it goes for 209 minutes uh yeah so uh, uh robert de niro plays the main character frank sheeran who is uh a, a war vet of irish oh this is the description on letterbox a war vet of irish origin who works as a truck driver he accidentally meets uh a mobster once he becomes his trusted man, uh, the mobster sends him to Chicago with the task of helping Jimmy Hoffa, a powerful union leader related to organized crime with whom Frank will maintain a close friendship for nearly 20 years. So basically, this is about um, a real... It, uh, it's based on real people. Uh, obviously, um, Jimmy Hoffa famously went missing. Uh, and no one's really sure why, although they did a lot of research for this. So my understanding is that this is kind of... <laughs> Martin Scorsese knows why, where and why, but no He fucking actually might be one of the few people <laughs> to have like gotten out of who knows like what happened. So <laughs> like, I'm making a movie here, buddy, and yeah. this is important. Well, so. no, but like it's Marty. Like These people worship Marty, <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like I think, really, this, this might be accurate. So... Um, yeah, basically... It's a gangster-ass gangster movie. Yes, but it's much more than that. And so that's what makes it really interesting, I think. On top of uh, the performance by De Niro and by Al Pacino, who plays Jimmy Hoffa, uh, it, both of those performances are, are fantastic. And also by Joe Pesci, who is famously, especially in uh, Goodfellas, I think, 
um, kind of known as being this like fiery dude, like really angry he's, and impassioned. He's the funny, you yeah. call funny, me how? funny, funny how, funny looking. Yeah. Um, so he's famous for his anger in a way, almost, fucking, uh, <laughs> almost like um, angry actor. <laughs> the shiny Jack Nicholson. <laughs> um, Andrew gave me this look like, come on, man, angry yeah, actor yeah, yeah. was like really clicking and um, angry. You've actor, watched the nerd writer video, um, yeah. So he he's kind of famous for his like uh, really angry characters. Joe Pesci, I'm talking about. Oh, kind of like this, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, and in this movie, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of like Irish man Jack Nicholson is. I think he, I think that's right. Um, he actually plays a really, really, uh, like, s- almost, like, soft character. And I think there's a lot of intention behind, like, the casting choices in this. Like, um, Al Pacino's character is friendly and trusting, you know? Um, the, guy, the guy that goes missing. <laughs> yeah, but in a way, like, he spends a lot of time on screen. He's not like the... He, it's not like they cast Al Pacino only to kill him off in the first, like, five minutes and then the rest of the movie's just He spends a lot of the movie not missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, that's true. Um, the, the I think the performances and the casting are, are part of a greater piece of work here where um, Scorsese is reflecting on what he's what his career thus far has been saying and doing about these mob guys. And uh, part of what the way that the Irishman achieves that is by taking place over the course of like like fifty years or something. <laughs> like the time spent, yep. The um, the, and that honestly is why the runtime is so fucking long because it's almost four separate movies, right? It's like at the very least four lengthy television episodes and worth. So this is that movie where they did the, the digital, d- digital de-aging. de-aging. Yeah, is that so convincing? I'll talk about that as as the last thing. I just yeah, want to okay, touch cool. on it quickly. Um, but really, you you get to see De Niro's character start as a young man, uh, sort of in his 30s, I guess, and um, see him be integrated with these people, see him struggle, see him make friends and life connections and that type of thing. Um, and just, like, I guess for the first time in a lot of these films... In a in a really lingering sense, endure the consequences of their actions, which right. is just something that I mean. You, you, you just think about Goodfellas, the long term kind of scale. Yeah, of right. Like, what happens to someone that lives a long time through all this stuff? How do they feel about all of it? How does it impact their family life? You know what I mean? That type of thing. And he hasn't really done something like that before. That's with quite as much like I think thoughtfulness and poise as he does in this movie. What's the tone of it? Is it still that kind of Goodfellas-y kind of... It cuts back and forth. So there's a frame narrative of De Niro in a nursing home that it keeps cutting back to where he's sort of telling you about what happened. And... And so, like, the moments in the nursing home obviously take a very different tone to... um, the moments like where he's in a meeting room with Al Pacino and Al's like yelling yeah. about something. It's sometimes, I mean, it, just like the other Scorsese movies, it's sometimes very funny. It's sometimes very lighthearted. It's sometimes very violent and very serious. Um, or sometimes the violence is so subdued that you're like, what the fucking hell? What did I just, I actually just watched someone die or something, but it almost didn't happen. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it's really good. It's just as good as the rest of his stuff. I really think like, uh, don't let the runtime put you off. It gave me. I feel like I've enjoyed the bit more than I actually care about it. Yeah, it yeah. gave me the same sensation that The Sopranos did because a lot of this film is also conversation, right? Right. Um, and 
the the way that the story is progressed in these kind of in this context of these mob guys is often through sitting down, having a meeting, having a conversation. So that yeah. needs to be really important. The writing, the performances, the characterization are. Um, what make or break a film like this and they're all fantastic you're never bored by them they never feel unnecessary they're always engaging and I think it's a real testament to his directing ability that he can do something like Wolf of Wall Street which is people standing in crowds and screaming or whatever or these big party scenes and I think it's equally engaging when it's just four guys sitting at a table talking about whether or not they need to kill someone or not (laughs) it is really cool so it gives you that same sense of like lengthy development of interpersonal relationships within the mob that The Sopranos gives you. You get to yeah, know okay. people. You're I'm disappointed when betrayals happen. Um, it, people's relationships start to really mean something. And uh, that was really interesting in a film because I never thought that it would be able to do that. Have you finished The Sopranos? Yeah. Yeah, right. I, um, I don't yeah. think I'm the world's biggest fan of Scorsese. Like, I think I've enjoyed every single movie of his that I've seen. Yeah. In a, in, a, in a major way. Yeah, sure. But I still don't think about Scorsese as being like a favorite director I think or we missed him, man. Like, I really think that people who are sort of 40 to 30 were in the prime when his, his uh, main movies were coming out. He's Benjamin Button-ass people. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> the 40s to 30s, yeah. yeah. But no, but uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm never like, oh, fuck yeah, Scorsese. I kind of am, but... Um, yeah, but I think I also have only just started to... I almost need to go back and watch the films that I watched before of his to really yeah. figure out what he's doing. Cause like, And actually, two of the other movies I've watched this week are also <laughs> Scorsese films, Taxi okay. Driver and King of Comedy. Um, and so it's interesting to see those in the context of this kind of, like I think, final reflective piece. Maybe not yeah. final, but like this... this um, yeah, uh, two to force, I suppose, of like his his work in mob movies. It sounds like you really liked it. I, I did. I really enjoyed it, but I think I enjoyed it. Uh, I think more more so than enjoying it as a film itself, I admire it for um, the man kind of like managing to summarize so elegantly what he's done over the last like thirty years or whatever. It, it sounds like it's a nice logical next step rather than just another yes. fucking mob movie exactly. by Scorsese. Exactly. That is that is what it is. And also like really I can't speak highly enough of Pacino's performance in this. I think Pesci is really beautiful. I think if you've seen Pesci and you're a fan of like Joe Pesci in the other types of mob movies, you'll be really interested to watch him in this because of how much restraint and tenderness there is in the character. De Niro is sort of uh, it's a very talented performance, but he's sort of the least interesting character, I suppose. So a lot of the time, he's just watching. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. The right. digital de aging's dodgy, man. I yeah, think it's, I, I think it's the worst thing about the film. Well, I've heard that one of the main. This is when it was first came out. I heard that one of the main problems with it was just literally the idea that sure his face looks young, yeah, but he still moves like an old he guy. He moves like a seventy. Five year old man and when he's trying to move like a thirty year old man. Yeah, yeah, and you just can't fake that. And y- y- having like just watched two films where he plays the protagonist, I think in his mid twenties or early thirties, like yeah, his his posture is totally different. Like he he holds his neck more upright. You know what I mean? And you can see yeah. it. You can feel when he's moving around as this like hunched figure. I mean, it, it's a bit characterizing, but it's just clearly like. And you, you know, if if no one told me you that they were digitally it. de-aging it, it's not. It doesn't get in the way of enjoying the well, film. There's no, there's no other. There's no alternative. There's no alternative. I, you're I, looking I think at it was a young a Robert call. De Niro. I think they should have cast it down. I think they should have cast yeah. cast a younger person. To play oh, the surely parts. they could put his face on a different actor's body. 
No, or at I that wouldn't point have it. I really just would have cast someone different. I really would have cast someone that looked enough convincingly like him earlier on that you could believe that. Um, but then, obviously, then you've got that weird transition. It's like in Looper, where it it turns from Joseph Gordon-Levitt to uh, Bruce Willis. Yeah, when they do that like time lapse bit, right? And there's there's just a hard there's a point cut. where yeah. <laughs> it goes from like one actor getting older and older makeup to the old actor with young makeup. Right? <laughs> You're like, ah! I don't specifically remember that bit, but um, oh no, I, I remember. <laughs> maybe it would have been less effective than the other way around but it's hard to it's hard to envisage a world where that would have broken me out less than the digital de-aging at points broke yeah out. right um i think it'll get there but this was the first go at it and i just don't think it really came off like in its uh in in its glory so yeah uh, that's the same um i mean in a way but it's it really is that is if that's the biggest like letdown for the film it's not enough to get in the way of enjoying it yeah. um it's just that sometimes you notice it and also like enough of the film is spent not using that tech that like you know, you probably still see a feature-length movie without <laughs> without any of the tech in it. So like, it makes me wonder whether maybe they cut backwards and forwards between him in the nursing home and him younger, just so they could keep showing off the fact that it's like, no, he does look younger. See, I mean, here he is looking old. I I don't think that they intentionally did that. Maybe, yeah. Um, and I think the like the probably the first cut in time in the film does that, but um, mostly it's for narrative reasons. I think. Yeah. Right. I actually watched the Scorsese movie as well this week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm not going to talk about it. It's a concert film he did in the mid '70s. Oh, that's right. Um, that's not really a movie because it's like a it's like a. He concert must have done that with, just before Taxi Driver. Yeah, it was like '74 or '75. Right. Um, apparently, they asked him at the last minute, and he was like, uh, "But uh, yeah, okay, fine." He's probably a pre-production for Taxi <laughs> yeah. Driver. Being like, Fuck. Yeah, but it's really good. Um, that's the one about the band. The band. It's got lots of like which band. <laughs> folk rock and blues rock kind of stuff in it then Bob Dylan and Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and fucking uh, everyone who's anyone Neil Neil Diamond mm. anyone who's anyone played in this concert in like the mid 70s and there were this huge band who a little bit like, like Woodstock or whatever kind, yeah but, kind of but there was like their farewell concert <laughs> <laughs> kind of in that it was a musical event that happened <laughs> yeah <laughs> in the late 60s or early There's a 70s a lot of big names yeah, yeah. Well, it was like what well, it was their farewell concert right. after they had been together for like 10 years or something okay. yeah, uh, yeah. and that's good and it was filmed by Scorsese but the main films I want to talk about this week a couple of weeks ago I watched Annie Hall oh yeah which I had seen a little while ago but I rewatched it recently with a friend because uh, I hadn't seen it in ages fuck it's a good movie man mm. it's so funny and I feel like it's hard to recommend now because Woody Allen is like famously a creep a big old big old but I, re- I read this really great article on Vice that Allegedly. kind of summarized why a lot of the gender politics type things that are represented in Annie Hall are quite modern and like they're quite a good nuanced take Ironically. like um, like yeah, exactly. And like Woody Allen's character is kind of shit. And right. like his girlfriend is often wiser than him in like every social situation. And Woody Allen's this like annoying dick. annoying white dude who's like mansplaining shit to her. And she's like, yeah, bro, I know. Right. <laughs> um, and the end of this so article. I didn't realize he was in it as well as directing He's in it. it. I he, thought he just directed it. Yeah. He's in it. He plays like Woody Allen, but not Woody Allen. He plays right. like a. New York Jewish comedian guy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but, a self insert. Uh, yeah. But it, it's such a funny. Look, like, it might be one of my favorite comedies, man. Damn, that it's, sucks. It's so good, <laughs> and so yeah, it's kind of hard to. It's kind of hard to recommend, but I feel like you just have to trust that. Trust that it's good, and it's not like. 
there's 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 almost never a scene where like um Woody Allen's being a creep and it hasn't dated very well. Mm. Like you don't you don't get any of that like ugh kind of thing. Right. It's really great. Like the, the end of this article here on Vice that I'll if I remember I'll link it in the the description of this episode isn't um uh, this this author says the decision to keep revisiting Annie Hall isn't merely selfish though it also forces us to remember that the man facing a serious long standing sexual assault accusation the man who married his former partner's young daughter mm. and who also gave us one of cinema's most vital depictions of love and heartbreak are the same person. In that sense, Annie Hall is a work of art whose meaning has surpassed its creator's intentions. Yeah. What was once an untarnished classic is now a record of an artist's failure to live up to his own worldview. Right. Which is... Oh, man, it's so great. Okay. Every, everyone go watch Annie Hall. It's just hilarious. pirate it. Make sure you pirate it. <laughs> well, no, one gets, no artists get paid on streaming services anyway. Yeah, so well, that's streaming. true. Um, I watched Annie Hall and I really liked it. It's basically about... It's kind of a non-linear storytelling of... Uh, this dude falling in love with Annie Hall and getting married and like having kids and splitting up and it's all sort of told non-linearly with this weird sort of frame narrative kind of thing. A little like Marriage Story? Yeah. It's kind of like a 1970s version of Marriage Story. That's a good that's a good Way of putting it, but it's mm. really funny and it's really cleverly written. There's a lot of just directed there's by a lot Jewish of people. Fast, that's the only reason I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of fast-paced, snappy Woody Allen-y kind of dialogue that you'll recognize immediately if you've ever seen any of his other movies. I haven't, um, but yeah, okay. Oh, he's a great. There's, there's he's got lots of good stuff. Mm. Um, again, <laughs> Phil Shit being like, "No, nah, man, go in a Woody Allen. 2020 is the perfect time." But this is an old, an old ass movie. Yeah. Um, and it's from 77. And yeah. it's like his masterpiece, for better or for worse. Yeah, um, okay. I also went to the cinema for the first time in age, for the first time since this whole lockdown. Yep. Palace had a French film festival, and I went with my housemate, and we watched a And they French were like, look, <coughs> into your mouth. <laughs> yeah. We, I went with a couple of my housemates, and we went to see La Belle Epoque, which is this French film... Uh, for the Bell and Pock. Might be one of my favourite movies that I've seen in ages, man. Yeah, it's this so good. Mind when you um, about this. It's kind of like a... Like, uh, to call it a rom-com would be kind of demeaning it, but it's like a it's like a romance drama and it's got funny bits in it. It's basically about this this uh, this old couple, this elderly couple who've been married for like twenty or thirty years, and they're sort of the spark has died in their relationship. The woman kind of thinks that the guy that the husband is sort of stuck in the past. So right. He's the sort of dude who'd probably like. Just like use a, use a typewriter and like never use a smartphone and complains about technology. Only likes music from the sixties. He's a <laughs> he's a cartoon he's a cartoonist for a newspaper and the newspaper's just gone digital, so he's just right, been okay. fired. And the wife kind of was like, "Oh, f- well, we need to split up." So they split up. The movie starts with them splitting up. Right, kind of like Marriage Story. <laughs> I just watched Marriage Story three different ways. Uh, there's seven different stories in the world, and they're all Marriage Story. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of the seven stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, wait till this movie comes out in 2019 called yeah. Marriage Story. It's going like, to fucking fuck, explain this whole thesis. It's the type of story. The whole thing's <laughs> fucked. Yeah. Um, and ba- basically, this old dude finds out that his son knows a guy who runs a special historical recreation service kind of thing for rich people, where basically this guy has the resources of a Hollywood film studio. Kind of like Total Recall. <laughs> well, he has the resources of like a Hollywood film studio, and so you can be like, "I want to be Marie Antoinette for a night," 
and he'll he'll do all the research and get it's period like, accurate yeah, costumes. <laughs> yeah, well, he'll get like period accurate costumes and pay like a hundred extras to fill a palace that he'll build and give everyone lines oh, so it's, and a it's scenario in the real world. In the real world, yeah. Oh shit! And, 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 and I assumed a, you meant digital. No, no, okay. and like a scenario, and you'll like role play your way through the night, or you'll be Fuck. like, I want to have a boozy night out with Edgar Allan Poe, right? And he'll like hire a guy to play Edgar Allan Poe and build like an alleyway and a shitty nineteen twenties bar and all this. So basically, as like a treat, this old guy gets to like, oh, what historical event would you like to live through? And he's okay. like, uh, May nineteenth, nineteen seventy four. And they're like, all right, cunt, what happened then? He's like, <laughs> he's like, that's the day I met my wife. Oh, okay. And so it's him, and they they perfectly recreate like a nineteen seventies uh, street. You know, on a back lot in France somewhere and this guy basically like falls in love with the 1970s dream world they've built for him enough mm. that he sort of doesn't want to leave right and he falls in love with the actress that plays his yeah, young wife yeah, he, yeah. like the idea of and so it's kind of like an exploration of like being stuck in the past and romanticizing the past and sort of the the traps that that can put you in and it's it's it, it's really funny and I Sounds kind of really good so it's oh, directed it's, it's by uh, I don't know how to say it probably but Nicolas <laughs> Bedeau I'm guessing Nicolas yeah. Bedos <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, it's really cool I feel like it's it's right up my alley in a had, way he it looks like he's only directed like two other things I think one of them was animated so this is his this is early oh, on it's in great. his career it's good it was really fun mm. it was I I think it's it's I'd fair to say it's nothing like too highbrow or anything, but I had a lot. Of, I had a lot of fun with it, and I can hardly recommend it. So that's La Belle Epoque, it, um, it, which I think is yeah. actually a reference because it, it sounds it sounds to me as in like the beautiful time. The like, gold, or that might be like a, a that might be like a um a trans a transliteration might be like the golden age, right? But yep. apparently La Belle Epoque was also the specific name given to like. A like roaring twenties kind of uh, okay. era of. Have you seen? <laughs> there's a Woody Allen film called uh, Midnight in Paris. Uh, yeah, that's that's the one that you didn't like, right? Oh, it's all right. Yeah, he goes yeah. back in time to the twenties, and then in the twenties they go back in time to like the eighteen fifties, yeah, or whatever. And that eighteen fifties is La Belle Epoque. That's like a specific time right. period in okay. French history. Yeah, so yeah. I think they're having fun with it by being like, "Oh, it's his, it's his Renaissance, it's his whatever, golden yeah. age yeah, of okay. his time in his life." Cool. That's good fun. It's good fun. And there's a lot of like Truman show. It's like a, there's a lot of comedic versions of the Truman Show where kind of moments where um, I like the Truman Show. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, there's a lot of funny funny bits in this movie where, like, the guy controlling the scene will be behind the one-way behind the one-way mirror and someone on scene will fuck up and he'll be like, what the fuck was that? Get that guy out of there! Right, and then, right. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Or, or, like, he'll, they'll, like, they'll, like, feed, they'll have little Bluetooth headsets, like, on a plate and they'll be like, that guy's forgotten his lines, get him a headset now. It's um, all a way that has like, to come out. has to come out with, like, a Bluetooth <laughs> headset or whatever. Or, um... That sounds pretty good. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think I'm sold on this. It's really, it's really good. Um, I, worth, worth watching. I don't know how you're going to watch it because yeah, I saw it at the cinema guess, and it's a palace film that's just distri- whatever. Hopefully it's on SBS. It'll come something. out at some point. Yeah. Uh, that's probably that's probably, that's probably all I got this week, boy. We should keep it snappy because okay. you, you, uh, we had a sort of Martin Scorsese half hour there. <laughs> I watched, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be extremely quick to watch two other things. Uh, oh, also, I watched Inception this week. Okay, re- that's, <laughs> that's a rewatch. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I watched 12 Angry Men uh, and then I put on a film from <laughs> the 1950s. Um, 
yeah, so Twelve Angry Men, directed by Sidney Lumet in uh, 1957. Um, this why, is why the fuck did you watch this? Because it's on every like top ten <laughs> films list in the world, and it's just I just wanted to cross it off my list. I ended up loving it. So it's based on a screenplay. Basically, the setup is there's a jury of twelve dudes. They, uh, you sort of start at and the beginning of, grumpy. and they're all fucking angry. <laughs> oh boy, they're angry. Some of the angriest men. <laughs> Some of um, the twelveiest men. Yeah. Twelve of the angriest <laughs> men. Uh, no, basically, so there's, um, there's no. this, this well, yeah, no, they are. That is, yes, <laughs> yes, um, they are angry. Yes, there are twelve. <laughs> yes, of there them. are twelve, and yes, assumedly they're all men. <laughs> so th- uh, they. Uh, they go into the room. They go into this room to reach a verdict um, after the case is finished, and um, they the the vote comes out at it has to be unanimous, and the vote comes out at eleven guilty, one not guilty. Right. And um, there's one dude played by um, not that guy. Eleven angry men. Eleven angry men and one not so angry man. Yeah. The sounds of things. Played by the main dude who like isn't famous. Henry Henry Fonda plays juror number eight. <laughs> I think he's really famous, man. Yeah, he is really famous, <laughs> but no. But if you look at like okay, so um, he's the only one without a picture no, on fucking letterbox. He, so he doesn't have a picture. I was going through all these app. old ass names trying to remember which one he was. As so it's played by Henry Fonda, he's the main character and he's the one who starts off with the not guilty verdict and basically uh, takes this stance of like I'm just not sure and so it explores this idea of like if you need to reach a unanimous vote like people you know some of the people in there were absolutely convinced that the guy was guilty some of them sort of were just mostly convinced but really there was they they weren't sure but they just wanted to get out of there in time and so it's a little bit about like what is a jury doing? What's like, uh, are you really, should we give this responsibility to people? Are they really considering the weight of their actions when they make these calls? Is it an effective system? Goes into a little bit of like, what does it mean to present evidence in court and try and construct an argument? How flimsy is some of that evidence? I think it's Here's quite a completely uninformed opinion. Sure. Yep. It yeah. is kind of an Keeping insane. In mind that you haven't seen the film. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is kind of an insane system, isn't it? Oh, it is. It's, <laughs> it's looking at the court system, like, especially from a psychological perspective, because we actually studied this a fair bit in my degree. Well, considering I have you family members that would jurors. understand this a lot better than I would, they'd be like, "No, you're an idiot." Here's exactly why it's a good. Well, system. Well, I think like, there's no better system, but right. you can manipulate a jury so fucking easily. It's garbage that we let a group of. 12 or however many random people decide because yeah it's it's um it's just it's too easy to manipulate humans but we just don't have a better system for it anyway um it's really uh it's really engagingly shot again it's just 12 people in a room talking about stuff so they get to see like inside the jury room uh no it's basically just inside the i mean i don't know what you mean by the jury room the room where they deliberate yeah, that's that's oh, fuck yeah. That's where it all is. I was literally is. just thinking yesterday how cool it would be. Why why isn't there a TV show or a movie or something where you see this? Yeah, this that's is that crazy. movie, man. Because we were watching like a crime thing where they went up, the jury went off, and then it goes like an hour later, yeah, so and the jury you, comes you, back. I'm like, oh, why don't you ever off, see that? It starts off in the courtroom for like thirty seconds, and then it's a hundred percent. Other than that, in the deliberating, this room. sounds like it could have originally been a play. It or was something. a play. I think I said yeah, that. Right. Um, so yeah, it was originally a play, and so it has a very <laughs> theatrical feel a flat to circle for you, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? yeah. It has a very theatrical feel to the performances and the writing. It's actually really good. I think you'd really enjoy this. Yeah, movie. it sounds cool. I think it's great. I had and always it, thought that it, it was, holds up. 
So it, it, it feels very modern in its performances and it doesn't feel like dated at all in like really any way. It's all black and white, obviously. Um, uh, but the camera work so, seems I mean, quite... I can think of one yeah, way in which yeah. it might feel dated. But the camera work, it feels quite modern. <laughs> uh, there's long takes in this, which right. add to the theatrical aspect. And I think it like that was quite maybe quite ambitious at the time. I'm not really sure, but um, <laughs> but it feels very you know, like modern and relevant. Yeah, that's um, cool. Even the way that the cinematography changes over the course of the film when they, they're more tense and they've been in this room. for The, the room is fucking hot. It's like the <laughs> middle of summer. So there's this through line throughout the, the movie of like everyone just wanting to kind of like this, this being more and more angry and frustrated yeah, because <laughs> they're angry and frustrated. And so they're all, they, they get in there at first and they're trying to like hold their composure. And by the end of it, they're all just kind of like fucking sick of how fucking hot it is <laughs> in this fucking room. And it's clearly adding to the tension. I mean, um, it's really good. Yeah, uh, right. I I'd, I'd oh, cool. strongly recommend watching it. That one was on Stan. Yeah, right. So that's where I watched it. It uh, it really, really holds up. It's a great fucking movie. Got I really a fucking like it. Parasite leeching off my stand subscription. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shouldn't they let me watch Serenity, brother? <laughs> I'll take my penance. S- speaking of watching Serenity, yes. Shall we talk slash debrief about watching Serenity? Oh, sorry. I also went in on. The, oh my god! The host. That's Bong Joon Ho's 2006 <laughs> horror movie. The movie looks fucking ugly, man. Yeah. The CGI is great, but they filmed it on actual film stock, and like I, I don't know the the exposure looks so weird. I didn't <laughs> notice it when I first watched it, but like it. It's on SBS On Demand. Go and right. look at that movie, man. It's so weird where you think the guy that filmed Parasite... I mean, obviously different DPs, but <laughs> it looks so weird. It's a very weird-looking movie. Yeah, right. And the um the driver, the father from Parasite is in it, and he's got, like, blonde-dyed tips. It's really, really weird. <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was Beatles of Pleasure for the Week? Serenity. Serenity. Serenity, no. Serenity. Uh yeah, so this is a 2019 movie suggested by a friend of the show Dave, mm-hmm. who said it's the worst movie he's seen in ages. Yep. Dave, you, Dave. <laughs> I think you might be right. <laughs> Thanks, I think mate. you might be right that this is the worst movie you've, you've seen. seen in ages. <laughs> uh, so uh, it is a film that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Andrew, starring Matthew McConaughey, starring Anne Hathaway, starring Jason Clark. Yeah, that's, that's the a- first thing I noticed about this film. I don't know who directed it because it's some dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> who the fuck? Some dude cares? is like, what if I was about to spoil it? We can't do that. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's uh, starring Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, Matthew- that's that's what's crazy about this movie. The what if premise spoils the whole movie. Well, I um, I also I, I watched Mark Commode's review of this today, where he yeah. points out that they do just tell you. Yeah, the, I, I mean, I think the, the, so. The twist in this movie, um, by the time it gets to the bit where it's explaining like, what the twist is, you're like, yep. yeah, yeah, I know, you told me that. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, uh, uh, it would be like if, in the sixth sense, he then explains the twist like another hour, right. hour, hour, hour later. You're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yep. I know, you, to- you, to- you said that on screen. Yeah. Um, this movie is basically Matthew McConaughey plays this uh, fisherman that... Uh, like a charter fisherman. Yeah. Goes out like into ocean waters and fishes. Lives lives and, <laughs> lives and works on like a little uh, uh, sort of tropical island off the coast of America somewhere. Looks a lot like Mauritius because that's where it was filmed. Oh, really? Well, there yeah. you go. Um, and he uh, basically just takes tourists out on like fishing expeditions. 
uh, he'll like get all the beers and all the all the rods and all the bait and shift. And you're a rich, you hire Matthew McConaughey's boat, mm. you go out and go fishing. But on the side, he's also fucking obsessed, like Moby Dick style, with catching this one giant. Yeah, I suppose it is a lot like Moby Dick, isn't it? Because he's obsessed with catching, obsessed with one catching giant a giant fish. fish. I know. It is. It's so. I know. I'm, I'm making oh, right. fun of how overt it is. I thought you were no. making fun of me. No, it is a lot <laughs> like that. It's almost like they've read one fucking book <laughs> and thought, wow, that's a powerful metaphor. <laughs> I'm going to use for that. For a man obsessed with catching a with fish. Catching fish. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so he's a. Um, uh, he wants to catch this fish real bad. Oh, yeah. Um, so he, ba- yeah. The, the the start of the film is there's two there's these two guys who've hired him out, and he he and he's on this boat with uh, this assistant or his, his his pal, and um, there's these two guys, and the one of the reels starts going fucking crazy, and instead and he's like, of that's my giant fish, yeah, he's like, he, I think you might even see the fish, big fish you do, style. Yeah. You see the big fish. Tim Burton would be and very like, upset. That's like, a big that's fish. A pretty big fish. I'm Tim Burton, <laughs> and um. Uh, and he's like, get the fuck out! Uh, and he ends up like pulling a knife on them to let like him, so that they like, back re- off and let him reel this one in. Yeah. And they almost get it, and then of course the line breaks, and he's like, next time I'll get you, white whale. <laughs> They're like this dude just threatens us yeah. with death so he could catch the fish. Exactly. You're crazy. Yeah. So at some point, Matthew McConaughey, so he's this like deadbeat guy who doesn't really make very much money at all. He, um, he's he like he's like also makes money being a prostitute on the side. I yeah yes this, I think that is true for this one lady. Yeah, played by Dana uh, Diane Lane. Yeah. Who, um, interestingly enough, that role was uh, Uma Thurman was locked for that role, and then I don't know why, but she decided to drop out of this one. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, really, really. <laughs> yeah, really maybe she read think. the script. Yeah, maybe she read the full script and was like, <laughs> she didn't oh. didn't just read the plane ticket. Yeah. Oh god. Um, so. She like auditioned for it. They're like, "Ah, oh, it's perfect." She's like, "Can I get a copy of the script?" <laughs> Two days later, she's like, "I'm actually not available." Also, isn't that a great move? If this person wants to sleep with you, and you're and you're not interested at all, just be like, "No, I'm a I'm a I'm a prostitute. I'll what? sleep I'll sleep with you for money." Right. It, it, it almost seems like he doesn't sleep with anyone. He just sleeps with this one lady. Yeah, and I, the lady's clearly into him. I mean, when you so th- it's, when it's you kinda, think about what the twist is, maybe that's a maybe that's related yeah, but like within to the that, world of the movie but, uh, like he's just this dude that sleeps with this one guy for, for this one lady for cash which yeah. to me screams of like this lady being like how about it and he'd be like uh, and, she, and she's like how about it and fifty dollars and he's like well yeah I bet, no that's true actually what a, yeah. what a move yeah yeah I guess the yeah, the implication there, that's true, actually. It is It is strange that... I mean, yeah, it's if not he with wants multiple to do people. That, it's just with this that. one specific lady where she's well, like, like... He doesn't I, fuck anyone else. I wouldn't do it for free right. with you. God, no. Wouldn't do it for free. Yeah. But yeah. for $50, yeah. absolutely. Whenever you want. It. Yes. It. Uh, I think you're right. It does set up a little bit of a strange dynamic, but also if he wants to sex work, if he, wants he to, can yeah, sex work. If he wants to do fine. it, whatever. It's just weird that, but you that know... That is the only character that There's so many other people on the island. Well... I guess, yeah, maybe there's not. I guess, when you think about it... <laughs> maybe there's not. Maybe there's not. If you really think about it. If you really think about it, really it. Think about it with Hathaway, the full context of the script of mine. <laughs> Anne Hathaway is his ex-wife that turns up out of nowhere. Um, 
uh, and he goes, "Ah, oh, I've I've tried I've tracked you down this little fucking fish fishing island. Uh, I now am married to this piece of shit rich dude who like beats me." Played by also massive fucking name Jason Clark. That's well, actually quite a small name. That's uh, you're right. Short on characters, big on character. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Whack that on a poster so promoting Jason Clark, Jason Clark. Yeah, he was the uh, he was one of the uh, agents in Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, he was good in that. He was he's Australian he's really as well. Good. Oh, is he? Yeah, oh, I didn't know. He that. Is. Uh, and he was Chappaquiddick. He w- he was Chappaquiddick. <laughs> he was Teddy. Uh, this is the second time this dude's done an island movie. Yeah. He's starting to typecast himself. Yeah, it's second p- time he's played a big fucking alcoholic too. Yeah, <laughs> alcoholic on alcoholic gets gets into an accident on an yeah, island. Yeah, that basically can get away with whatever the fuck he wants because of how much money he's got, uh, including potentially killing people. We need we need we need a guy who can play a character who can almost get away with murder uh, and is an alcoholic on a small island. Get yeah. Jason Clark Actually, on the phone. This might have got him cast <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> says, the more I think about it. Um, yeah, he's going to be spending a lot of time on the water. Spoiler alert for Chappaquiddick. Yeah, uh, Ted Kennedy killed someone. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's he's also great. And so yeah, she Anne Hathaway says, and, "I yeah. hate my I hate my current husband, Matthew McConaughey. Will you, my ex husband, help me kill my current husband? Kill can, my current husband for me for ten million dollars. You can take him out on some fishing trip, uh, get him drunk, push him off the side of the boat." Uh, just like Christopher Walken, you can, like, say, oh, you can, you can Christopher Walken <laughs> Christopher Walken yourself and say you didn't know what happened and she he, he, she just fell overboard and blah, blah, blah. This is interesting. So I, I haven't verified this, but you were telling me that the character from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Brad Pitt's character from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think that's just that's not really pulled out of like, yeah, the, I'm, I'm, the ether that apparently that is basically Christopher Walken's I'm, story where he was alone on a fishing boat with his wife that, they were uh, yeah. having a rough patch or something. Yeah. And no one knows what happens, but the wife never came back from the fishing trip. Yeah. It was like Christopher Walken and, his, and maybe and his bud were on a boat with this right. lady and the lady like died. That is so crazy. Let's go to Wikipedia. That is fucking insane. Uh, so the lady, her name was Natalie Wood. She was 43. Yep. And it says here under the death section, Natalie Wood died in mysterious circumstances at age 43 during the making of Brainstorm while on a weekend boat trip to Catalina Island on board her husband Robert Wagner's yacht called Splendor. Right. Um, Outside of drowning, many of the circumstances are unknown. It was never determined how she entered the water. Natalie Wood was with her husband, Robert Wagner, and Brainstorm co-star Christopher Walken, and the the captain of the ship, the captain's name was Dennis Deverne, on the evening of November 28th, 1981. uh, Her body was recovered uh, at 8 o'clock the next morning, one mile away from the boat, with a small inflatable dinghy beached nearby. Wagner said that she was not with him when he went to bed. The autopsy report revealed that she had bruises on her body and arms as well as an abrasion on her left cheek, but no indication as to how or when the injuries occurred. Shit. Yeah. Lady just randomly, randomly drowns. And they're like asking what happened and all of the guys on the boat are just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty um, nuts. There's a big long Wikipedia article about it. So and like obviously Christopher Walken has been in a Tarantino film. 
yeah. famously, and then in this Tarantino film, there's something very close to that. That's yeah. that's quite interesting. And it, it's like a mysterious circumstances that never that never never no one's solved it. No yeah. one have been no one have been solved. Well, anyway, so yes, Anne Hathaway says, "Would you like to Christopher Walken, my husband Jason <laughs> Clarke, for ten million dollars?" Yeah, and uh, Matthew McConaughey says, "No." Get fucked. Yeah. Not doing that. I will take his money and take him on a lovely fishing charter, <laughs> but I will not. I will not, once again, for that $10 million, kill him. Yeah. And I, I, lo- I love because the movie's basically like, I'll take him fishing for 10 grand. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm not going to kill him. Yeah. Which sets, I like that that sets a direct pricing relationship of like how <laughs> many fishing trips you'd have to take <laughs> someone on to equivalently pay off killing them. <laughs> I'm going to take him on 1,000 fishing trips. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll take him on a thousand fishing trips <laughs> if you give me ten million dollars. But what I won't do be, is kill him once. I'm gonna be fucking sick of the yeah. sick of the guy. Yeah, let me tell you, fishing trip seven hundred and eighty three is gonna be a long one. <laughs> I might kill him. <laughs> I'll take him on as on as many fishing trips as it takes for me to get sick of him and want to kill him myself for free. Yeah, then I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I expect that to be around the thousand mark. So for a start, this movie is really. Strangely edited, yes. Which is a weird place to start. But everything few, about this movie is weird. Yeah, there's a few really bizarre um, camera movements that happen at the start. Like, and I'm not being weird about that. There's like, it will like so like um, Matthew McConaughey will be like strutting towards a cliff edge, and the camera will be behind him, following him, and then will like in this blurred, accelerated way, like whip arc around to his front. So we're walking in front of him. But like the camera's on this really quick drone or robot arm or like something. It's like swung around, but then he, he hasn't moved faster, so it's not doing like this shitty early 2000s thing where he like he like walks faster. It's just very quickly moving the camera and panning. It's like they artificially... They probably had a shot from behind and then they started to arc and then a shot from in front and they started to arc or something and then cut it together weirdly, but it's so unnecessary and it's so it's very bizarre. Weird. It looks like and the... Like, um, maybe... It, well, this is going to drive people crazy, but like maybe that has something to do with the garbage <laughs> twist of this movie, but it's not well connected, no even one's, if they No one's going to watch this movie, would, right? I mean... Why so, don't we just... Listeners, put, I think you shouldn't watch this, this movie. This movie has like 15% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I think it'll be more fun to just yeah, ruin so it. Yeah, like so it's got like a two out of ten on Letterboxd. It's got like a three and a half on Metacritic out of right. ten. So at some so, point we'll get to it and we can spoil it. Right. But this is you know, we're, we're going to ruin it. Yeah. Basically, uh, uh, this is not a good movie, and I think that there no audience exists for this movie because right. uh, the population that the twist relates most strongly to aren't going to like it, and <laughs> no one else is going to fuck. Everyone else is going to think it's fucking stupid. Yeah. So or weird, just a weird fucking movie. So the so what the should we just do it? What, the movie. Um. Well, okay. Let's. Let's. Let, let, or is six, it more fun to? <laughs> I think let's go. Let's go through it. Actually, let, let's 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 quickly touch on the plot up till the point where the spoilers happen. Because, All right. Fine. Um. Yeah. I, I'll just I'll just get the Wikipedia article up so we so can kind of take people through it. I think at some point. So Matthew McConaughey. Then so he he's it, she uh, Anne Hathaway goes like, do you want to? Take my husband out on the fishing trip for ten million dollars and kill him, and he's like, "No, nah, I'll just, I'll just take his money and actually take him fishing." Oh and yeah, she's point- like, "He's gonna get here in like three days. That's when I want you to do it." I've yeah, got, she's hired him 
to like, and she's told her husband, like, I've, I've hired you this beautiful holiday. And shit. yeah, at some point, uh, Matthew McConaughey finds out that he is abusing her, mm. like hitting oh, her. Yeah, and, and stuff. she says, by the way, I've got this son, and I think it's your son. Or maybe he already knows that. I don't know if she breaks it to him, but I feel like he didn't know that it was his son. No, he knows. He, he knows. knows. Okay, right. So he's she's got, like, he's got a yeah. son with Anne Hathaway right, who okay, he's never yeah, yeah, properly yeah. met, and they're kind of estranged. And yeah. Anne Hathaway is like, oh, um, your kid that you have with me doesn't really get along well with this stepdad. He just like spends all day yeah, in his room playing, his playing video games. Yeah. Your son's a huge loser, and I need you to kill my stepdad. Uh, but then, the, then it says like, uh, and your son like he's got his own little world in this video game, and like mm. he. Th- he feels like he can talk to you. Right. And then we get a couple of weird supernatural moments with uh, McConaughey's character where he, like, hears his son talking to him across the world, basically. Or, like, he thinks he hears his son's voice. There's a bit where he goes swimming naked. He takes off all his clothes and goes naked swimming for, like, the third time in the movie. Right. Matthew McConaughey's naked for, like, half this movie, I swear to God. Um, And then, like, he he dies, like... like a (laughs) 50-year-old. Dives down into the ocean and then his son is also there and I think is also naked. And he's like uh, swimming. I believe so. He's swimming naked with his son, and there's this weird, yep, like you know, like you do, like you do, like dads do. <laughs> um, and swimming sort naked of, with my quite middle teenage son. Ooh, yep. um, yeah, and so he's swimming. Oh, yeah, his name is Baker Dill, by the no, way. No, it's not. The character name is no, it's not. The character name, Mike, Matthew McConaughey's character name is Baker Dill. Brilliant. Yep. Brilliant. They had three seconds to think of a name. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, yeah, so... Okay, yeah, so did, did we mention it's really weirdly edited? Like, he'll jump into the water and it'll give you four shots, four different angles of him jumping into the water. Yeah. Like him falling and then half a second of him falling into the water from one angle, half a second of him falling into the water from another angle, and then a fourth angle of him in the water. Like, yeah. It's, it's crazy. It like, is the very of, strangely The edited. amount of coverage they have on this where they would have had to have deliberately set up different cameras to get all these weird little action shots for like a fraction of a second. Yeah. There's this dude with a briefcase and a full three-piece suit that keeps following Matthew McConaughey around oh, yeah. and trying to give him a message. And he's, and he's always like, by, oh, yeah. I just missed him by 20 seconds. God. He's played by that that guy, the guy from The Big Short, um, who's really good. The angry dude from The Big Short. Yeah. The bald guy. Yeah, he's really good. And um, right, so you're right. So it's set up this, things just feel off. It's set up this mysterious thing where like, yeah, he hears his son. He's got this bizarre relationship with this woman that he sleeps with for money. He's got this bizarre relationship with his ex-wife where um, her husband is so rich that she's willing to uh, have him killed for $10 million that she has. And McConaughey's like, absolutely not. He's a war veteran. Um, there's, and um, th- there's all these there's this sh- giant fish. That he wants has so many things going on in this movie that are just that just don't have any seeming relation to them no. or make sense or, or like and you also get a lot of action yeah. shots of the kid just playing his video game right especially when Anne Hathaway is talking to mentioning McConaughey. it McConaughey yeah and you can see that it's a fishing video game right they might even say something at some point. About that, so yeah, it's you're not really sure. Like, you, it's clear that there's some connection between the life that McConaughey lives and the son playing locked this away video in his game. room playing this video game, right? And it turns out, yeah. So, 
about sort of half an, uh, halfway into this movie, two thirds into this movie, the big reveal is that the whole world, McConaughey's world, the island, every character in it, Matthew McConaughey's world, is this video game that the kid is playing. Yeah. So Matthew McConaughey is a video game character. His ex-wife. That is the mum of the kid in real life. So this kid has modded uh, some form of video game engine so that he can like custom design his own world and, and characters. And put his parents in it. Yeah, and he's put his parents in it. And he's put his stepdad in it. Yeah. And he doesn't like his stepdad, so he is like therapeutically putting his stepdad into this video game so that his parents can kill his stepdad right. in the video game. Right. And it's this like... Um, Oh, uh, you got to... Oh, the name of the fish that Matthew McConaughey is trying to catch is Justice. Justice, yep. He's trying to get Justice. Yep. It's a giant... He's trying to get Andrew. Yeah. He's trying to get oh, Justice. Oh, sorry, I missed that. One more time. Say it for me one more the time. The name of the fish is Justice, and right. the kid feels like he's being wronged. Yeah. So, when Matthew McConaughey is trying to How catch the fish... How those two things fish, related? Right. No, see, I can... No, you're right. Sorry. So, the name of the fish... He's, the name of the fish is Justice. Yeah. What the fuck? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, I keep forgetting that. <laughs> yeah. And then they keep being like, get justice, g- catch the fish, kill the guy. What, what was yeah, this people weird keep telling between him, like, like, focus on the fish or like focus on the goal. Keep your eyes on the goal or just try and catch the fish. Because he's like, th- there's this weird, people start telling him, people in the world start telling him like, the game's trying to fight against the fact that Matthew McConaughey has now decided to kill the guy instead of catching the right. fish. And, and so, so the basically, whole game engine tries to change the way the AI characters work to make Matthew McConaughey instead catch the fish. Right. And it's trying to make it impossible for him to kill the guy. And so it ends up being, uh, and like, I, I don't know if you agree with this comparison as much as I feel it, but it ends up being very much like the Truman Show when yeah. he decides, yeah. I'm fucking done. This is weirding me out. I'm going to just try doing random shit and see how the world reacts. Yeah. Because characters start being really weird and the system starts sort of breaking down or like people know things and he's like, how do you know that? And so... Yeah. Um, he just he does that like moment where he like tries to test out reality or like he'll start breaking rules that are established and being like, like he drinks like three bottles of bourbon yeah or where they're like you can't it. take liquor on the boat or something like that so he takes liquor on the boat oh yeah the guy with the the guy with the suit that keeps following him around the guy in the full three piece suit oh, on the yeah. beach the name of that character I am the rules the name of the character is the rules yep. and at some point during the thing uh, the rules comes to Matthew McConaughey's door at like three o'clock in the morning. And it's like you're being too crazy. You, you're breaking. This, you're, you're breaking you're not me. Allowed, you're not allowed. <laughs> you're not allowed to be doing what you're doing. Yeah. And then one is like, "Who are you to say that?" And he's like, "I'm the rules. Yeah. It's my job to say that." Yeah. So the rules uh, tells Matthew McConaughey that he's in this video game, and that's at the point when you're like, "Yeah, I know. I know. You, you showed. You told yeah. me that." And like the map. So okay, this was written and directed by uh, Stephen Knight. Um, who is 60 years old. Fuck. And boy, does it show. This man's played a video game I think before, right? This man has seen maybe a, a, a descendant of his play a video <laughs> game sometimes <laughs> and has no no understanding of how also, they the work video game at the kid fucking is, all. The, the video game the kid is playing looks like a Sega game. It, or really, it looks really terrible. It looks terrible. like the oldest yeah. video game in the world. Yep, it looks like an indie game from five years ago where they were like, yeah, we've got the budget to do 3D. <laughs> Uh, it, it, fucking insane 
choice because like this is and this is I've, I've, I feel like I've whinged about this before but y- if you don't y- this didn't need to be a video game thing for the idea of the story to work no like, it was weird it would have been trite as a mental health story where he yeah. like became schizophrenic or like was <laughs> uh, psychotic and lost his connection to the world but that would have at least been coherent like, I just, I, yeah, the, the video game thing breaks me out of it. I mean, I feel like you you started to go insane with like that's not how a video game works. Because they do that thing where they try to they try to be clever with details, but they don't know what they're fucking talking like about. Like where the level and like so deloads and a new like level do, loads yes, in. It's like when they do bad science stuff in films, and then it's like don't even try to explain it. Okay, <laughs> I don't need to have it explained to me. But if you try and explain it to me, and you do a bad job or you fuck it up, <laughs> yeah. I am angry at you because I know. That you're stupid. I definitely hated the movie and I thought it was stupid, but there was a certain point where I felt like, uh, this already isn't how video games work, so fine. If, if, if like, yeah, but it, th- I think it got to like a. But every time they, th- then every time they gave me another detail, it was like, you're doing it again! <laughs> it was like, this isn't helping, this, is, this isn't adding any more clarity. Yeah, it oh, was fuck. garbage. Yeah, no, I don't know. I, um, <laughs> the weirdest part about it, and like, really the weirdest part about it, is that if they are all characters, because it, it at no point is it clearly established whether or not McCoy. McConaughey is a, like conscious, basically, or if he's only if it's even if because we clearly have access to um, his full remit of experiences, and it's not clear whether or not the kid is playing as the father, or if the kid is like God mode and he's like and the father is and McConaughey is a character. Whether it's like The Sims or what, right? So if it is like The Sims. The shit that he makes his dad do is really fucking weird. Like, if it's not like The Sims... Fuck his mum. Yeah, he fucks Anne Hathaway. What's yeah. going on there? Yeah. But he also has he, like, suck, other... Do the sex scene, he like he sucks, sucks on her chin. chin. It's very it's weird. It's really weird. We read a review later Which that I was... Which I think like... is like a compelling bit of performance. <laughs> we read, but, a, we read a review later that was like, how weird is it when Matthew McConaughey sucks on Anne Hathaway's chin? And I was chin. like, I didn't see that. Did you see that? And we went back and we were like, wow, <laughs> yeah, he really does. He does, yeah, wow. Yeah. It's definitely, that's a chin suck moment. Yeah. Yeah, like just like lips all the way around fully, the chin. Yeah, it's like he went to it. it's like he went for a kiss and, and latched onto the chin and, and just went and for then it. And he had one take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so it's it yeah, this is it's really crazy. Uh the the, the level of like incoherence and um nonsense that this film has and oh, it's crazy. I think it feels the, my problem is this film feels like it thinks very highly of it itself fi- I think this film thinks it's being really smart I think Stephen Knight thought he wrote a fucking genius script <laughs> and if you play video games you know that that's not true but if you don't play video games you don't get what's happening yeah so that's why the audience for this movie does not exist. No, I, I feel like it's a bad movie and it's very confusingly written where, like, if you didn't care about video games, you could have a movie that you watch that has a video game theme and be like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Then it's got to be like Ready Player One. Yeah, but this you know is like, about? like... I feel like anyone can kind of get behind the idea of Ready Player One. They're not yeah, going to get all the references right. this or whatever. This is so weird but and so, premise, like... But- Sorry, what? So the kid's controlling what? Is the kid what? modding an existing <laughs> game engine? And the only reason I'm asking about like game engines is because they made this character called The Rules. No one refers to rules in a video <laughs> game like that. That's like a fucking board game term, you dipshit. Listen here, old man. Literally. 
Hire someone oh, else man. to write the script again where they're like, oh, Christ, what have you done? All right, um, let's figure out how to make this work. So, like, the reason why I give a fuck about that is because it has implications for the characterization of McConaughey's character. I don't know if McConaughey is meant to be, if I'm meant to see him as a human being, yeah. if I'm meant to see him as, like, basically Neo from The Matrix, where he, like, learns that he can break the rules of the environment around him and it become, like, a god... Or if he is absolutely bound by the rules of the game engine, in which case it's actually a story about how he no longer has agency or free will. But it never bothers to ask any of those questions. And it just expects me to eat it up like a big bowl of dog turd (laughs) shit food. There's there's a five minute long scene. I hate this movie. Oh man. I didn't know how much I hated this movie until we started talking about it. It's a bad movie, but I hate this movie. I really wanted to watch it because I knew you would hate it. (laughs) (laughs) When I found out that the the twist ending is that it's all in a video game. I first thing was like, so poorly. I have, I have to watch this. With it's Andrew. not like a terrible, like twenty-five words or less idea, but it, it, the more it, you explore it, the more confusing it becomes. Yeah, and the yeah. more it digs itself into a hole, the less it works. <laughs> Dude, when Dave told me about this movie, I, the first thing I thought is, I've got to watch Andrew watch this. Oh movie. my god! <laughs> I have to watch his head explode. I, I, yeah, you're talking it's yourself a, into circles around. It's a like, whole short film. The idea that a child has made his mum and dad into a character in a game and he's making them fuck—that's a weird <laughs> short film idea. That is like cursorily bounced off the plot of this movie. Like, I, there also, are he implications. Made his, he, he made his dad a prostitute in this movie. Yeah. It's very, and not even a very, very Not even weird. a very lucrative one with no. good business yeah, sense. I mean, it, enough to get by, but... He's the yeah. hottest guy on the island. Yeah. Well, He's the hottest guy bizarre. on the island. It's just very, very... It's very... Every choice is very strange. There's a five-minute long scene towards the end of the movie where the rules tracks down Matthew McConaughey at his little shack at three o'clock in the morning in the yeah. rain to be like, i got to talk to you. And it's to give him an upgrade in the game. It's to give him this fish finder sonar oh, box. Oh, yeah. And he never uses the fish finder. That's because the rules are trying to make him look for the... Tuna because that's his original that's his quest that's his objective is yeah. the is justice <laughs> fuck <laughs> off he just wants justice but that's, and the rules are trying to push him they're, they're trying Dude, to say he don't wants kill your justice. dad yeah oh I get it now Cause, no because he's looking for the fish yeah. so he's looking for justice right. but how is that going to so achieve he... the goal the goal wasn't the kid doesn't that wasn't the dad's Goal. I think that in the world of the video, in the world of the video game, the kid wants to ke- kill his stepdad in real life. Yeah, and so he says, "I play this video game so I don't kill you." Right. And so if the kid in the video game spends his, if the kid spends his time playing this fish game, right, then he's, he's not, then he's not gonna kill. And he his- slowly becomes unsatisfied by doing that. Yeah, and so. Writes his mother and father, mother yeah. and stepdad into, into the game. Into the game so that he can kill his stepdad in the game. Okay, right. So yeah, that's um, fine, right? Yeah, so... Oh, like, you, you just didn't get that bit, so right. the movie's fine. But McConaughey's character in real life was a war vet that was killed in the war. Oh, I forgot war. about that. And so <laughs> he's not real. He's dead. <laughs> I forgot yeah. that Matthew McConaughey's dead. He's dead the, he was dead he's the dead whole, the whole time. movie. Right, so he's not real, and he also doesn't have the same like worldview or goals as his real character analog would, and it's just I forgot that Matthew McConaughey's yeah. character is dead at the end of the yep. movie. Yeah, yep. that's hilarious. And then like the kid, the kid loads himself into the video game at the end, doesn't he? I think uh, I think so. 
the kid loads himself into I, the video I think game. So, and then that the, the, the they like write, he writes it so that it doesn't. They can just like live happily ever after, basically. Yeah. Um, he doesn't load himself in. He like he, he like creates a, a character. A character. Yeah. Oh, that's better. Um. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so yeah. Patrick, like, so the kid kills him. He, he kills Jason Clark's his stepdad, alcoholic, abusive stepdad, in real life. Yeah. We see him, like, walk out of the room and go and stab him. The- Frank dies. Patrick's charged with murder. But then, so the kid is charged with murder. And then he's released while... Oh, that's right. The kid The kid stops playing the game and goes and kills yeah. his dad in real life. And so he's released while uh, on, awaiting... In the, in the plot is, he's released while awaiting trial. <laughs> he, quote, designs a new computer game in which he and his father are reunited. Brilliant. So apparently the ending of the movie is a completely different game engine with completely different rules. No, right? yep, yep, But yep. ostensibly, in the real world, this kid is also still going to jail for murder. Fuck yeah. Like, I mean, they say... It's that so weird. There's news articles that... Well, like, news shows that come up where it's like, oh, they're pleading self-defense and I'll probably get away <laughs> with it or whatever. But it's the... Again, the implications for this film... It doesn't know what it's trying to say outside of a at con- any point. Outside of a confusing plot, filmmaking-wise, it's very, very, very odd and not great. The like, editing is fucking garbage, but the performance the very is, impressionistic and is distracting. It's not, but it's also not consistent. It's not consistently impressionistic. They just do some weird shit at the start, and the pacing is insane. You you can't, yeah. you come at it within the first twenty minutes. They've, they're in like 15 different locations yep. and nothing has really happened. Yep. He's just like having nonsense conversations about nothing in like five different locations around the island. They do, yeah, they're editing. Uh, th- they shot like, they, I guess they must have shot coverage so they would shoot like both people talking to each other and then they do a close-up of one and then a close-up of the other and they cut wildly between those three <laughs> really, angles during really the conversation. Really quickly. Really quickly, which is the same mistake that Bohemian Rhapsody was rinsed for in its editing. Yeah. Like, it, it it's not... It looks great because it was shot on an Ari Alexa and everything that you do with an Ari Alexa looks great. The island is like naturally beautiful and then <laughs> the performances are good. And beyond that, um, this film has nothing going for it other than to hate watch it. Yeah. And it's it's not even like... I mean, maybe this is actually a good hate watch. I think because there's a lot... It, it's actually hard to think of a good hate watch film. I think, I I think, think this, this is... is Funny in a bad. I think this is funny in a bad way. I think it's fun watching it, knowing yeah. that no, yeah. I, I feel like it's not a movie that's boring because it's so shit. It's boring. No, I feel like you can true. watch this being prepared to watch a shit movie. Yep. You can watch this movie and have fun. I think we had fun the whole time while we. Yeah, were I did, it. but at no point was it. I, was I enjoying it at the film's intention? No, no, you know no, what no, I mean. No, no, no. It, yeah, it's um, it's a fucking mess. And yeah. you don't know just how much of a mess it is until you learn things later on in the plot that... I mean, like, by the... We've probably spoiled it to we the have, point yeah. where, like, I don't think you're... It's probably not worth watching it. But, man. Well, I, I knew I knew that the whole the whole world was a video game the whole time. And you and still had, still yeah, had so fun maybe. watching it. God damn. Um, but, yeah, it's really crazy. The I will say the I didn't particularly enjoy the music in this film, but it was done by Benjamin Wolfish, who's the composer for I'll just list a few: Blade Runner twenty forty nine, It Part One and Two, V for Vendetta, Hidden Figures, Hellboy. Uh, he's done like he's a big score, shitloads of stuff, and so for some big movies, like they got good people. 
be on like, this hey, movie. Do, do you want to do two hours of work and then spend the rest of your three, <laughs> three weeks on a beach? Oh, my God. I mean, the, you you posited that maybe this was like the Adam Sandler thing where they yeah. just wanted a holiday in Mauritius. And like, yeah. there's a lot of producers on this movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> God damn. You know? Yeah, maybe. Jess Hall uh, filmed it, who was the same cinematographer for Hot Fuzz. Or at least she worked on it. I'm not sure if she actually did the cinematography. Um, Yeah, okay. So, yeah. Shot by the same person as, uh, I believe, Hot Fuzz, The Spectacular Now, the new Ghost in the Shell movie. I wouldn't say Um, that any of those things are spectacularly memorable for the way they were shot. Hot Fuzz was great. Yeah, I suppose this is all just like... The editing was more... This is like a competent team makes a shit movie that it's like, clearly these people know how to make good movies and they just didn't this time. Yeah, well, I think really the script and the direction... Oh, man. Just just every single thing that anything does to further the story in this movie... Is a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's... uh, Dude's name is Baker Dill. Baker Dill. It sounds like you've made a mistake when you say it. <laughs> Dill Baker would have been a much better name. At least that's. Oh my god. Oh man. Um, is that a, is that about all the time we've got left? Yeah, I feel like we could just let's call complain there, about this movie forever. Oh well. I really can't get over that he made his mum and dad fuck in the movie. That's it's very that's weird. So weird. It's very weird. It's such and like he swim. He swims naked with his dad in the movie. That's yeah, yeah. I guess that is still pretty weird. He gets his dad naked and makes him jump in the jump in the thing. Yeah, his dead. Yeah, and again, like, did, dead dad. did he do that? <laughs> or, <laughs> you don't but know. it's not played. It's played as like this moment, I guess, of like tenderness and connection between father and son. But then it also just has this like I don't know. They're in the water together. It's like. It is just weirdly erotic. <laughs> it's just a bit because weird. it showed me McConaughey's ass for quite a while a before I realized. There's a lot of ass in this movie, isn't there? Yeah, there's a lot there of is. Matthew McConaughey's ass in this movie. There is, and that's normally fine. But when he then dives in and he's like nude hugging his fucking sixteen year old boy or whatever, <laughs> it just it's just it just is weird. You're there, just making a weird point, Stephen Knight, and I feel like maybe. Uh, you you need to deal with some stuff. He's he's naked so often in this movie that I felt like we were gonna see his dong. Well, we almost did it. A point. Almost did. Because I think we caught some nuts. There was a bit where we were like, oh, 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 yeah. and yeah. You, you never end up seeing it. Possibly close at some point with the sport that it is to watch this movie. Mm. Being like, I I feel like you could sort of you could do some sort of whole bingo chart, and I feel like one of them for sure was going to be you get to see. You get you get to see Matthew McConaughey's nuts. Get to see us all. And the fact that we did it, I'm going to be honest, I was a bit disappointed. Yeah. In yeah. myself. For, yeah. For, 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 you know. For being led led along. <laughs> led down the merry garden path, so to speak. Because uh, for a good that. 20 minutes, that was all that was keeping me going. It's just, fuck, what if this is the movie where Matthew McConaughey... I think Stephen Knight might have created Who Wants to... Yeah, he did. He created Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. (laughs) (laughs) What? Knight is also one of three creators of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Oh, that's great. We're ending on that. (laughs) There you go. Okay, I would say this movie is better than... Moby Dick. Oh, God. Worse than Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. This movie, I don't think this is better than any movie I've seen. Uh, uh, This was better. I enjoyed this more than I enjoyed um, 
like Bridesmaids. Or like yeah, right. uh, people like that movie. Than Have you se- seen Bridesmaids? Yeah, it's garbage. Better than <laughs> Sex in the City two. Right. This is better than Sex in the City two, but I think it might be the second worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> this might this might, might finally have a contender. There you go. Um, and I will say. Uh, okay, I was about to say Sex and the City 2 has a more coherent script, well, this but I think it had a less ambitious script. Right, this movie <laughs> felt like they were trying and failed oh, miserably. Oh, yeah. They shot for the fucking stars and burned up miserably. <laughs> they challenged They challenged this script. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wish I, you know, it was, let's make sure we get the right and sensitive Space Man reference. Um, yeah. I th- I'm, I'm happy with that. Very, very, very bad movie. So, in in many ways, good recommendation, Dave. Thank you very much. Yep. Uh, join us next week, which is probably going to be I don't know, fucking September at this point. Yeah, who knows anymore? Maybe, yeah. Um, <laughs> who knows what we'll be covering? Let us know if you have anything you want us to cover. You can email us. Uh, beef be station- nice to watch something good. <laughs> <laughs> Beefstationpod at gmail.com. Yep. Uh, join in our Facebook page. Follow us on the internet. All that shit. All beef the links are in the description. Posting. That's it. Mm-hmm. Have a good week. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. See you later. Bye. It's him. It's justice. Shut the fuck up. One more. Sam Town, it's him. Sam? I knew it. I knew I'd bring you luck. Hold her steady. Are you fucking nuts? Do that line to me. Come on. You're mine now. You're fucking mine, baby. Are you seriously going to catch a fish? Now? No. He is. This time I'm gonna fucking do it. Daddy, do you wanna take the rod? Huh? Yeah. Huh? Yeah, give me that fucking rod. Samson, the paying customer, has insisted that I transfer the rod to him. Okay, Mr. Dell. Yeah, you sure you can handle this beast, huh? You man enough. Because let me tell you, this motherfucker is the beast. Yeah, you're right in my left hand. Here we go. Huh? Give me the fucking rod. Here we go. Come in. He's yours now. And you're his.